Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Preston M. Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm Preston M. Smith, at PMS Artwork Everywhere on Internet Land and Socials. I want to thank you for landing on this podcast. Whether you're a professional artist, just getting started in the art world, a collector of art, or just consider yourself a creative person, this podcast has something for you. I like to think of it as a fun way to rant and talk to other creative people about living the life of an artist, surviving and getting ahead in the art world, and enjoying your life. But most importantly, not waiting until you're dead to make it happen. All right, let's get started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There Hi. we are. <laughs> hey, how are you, Morgan? I'm doing well. How are you, Preston? I'm doing very well. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Are you, uh, well, you probably got the message that already that it's recording. Yep. I got that message. So, so you're on, you're on the record already. I am on the record. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, so you're actually in DC, aren't you? Yeah, I, I we're, our job, Art and Embassy, is it's located in D.C., but I'm currently teleworking at the moment. I'm visiting that, family in Georgia. Okay, that's what I was wondering, because I was going to ask you what the temperature was like, but Georgia might actually be not super cold right now. How? What's the temperature like over there? Uh, I think it's probably, it was, it's been pretty warm this week, so I would imagine yeah. it's probably in the, around the 60s or so. I think yesterday or a couple days ago, it was around 70 degrees, so. Oh, wow. Quite warm. That's <laughs> Although nice. Kind of happening sort of around the East Coast as well. So it's it's been pretty mild so far. Right. Yeah, we just got, uh, I live in the Valley in Los Angeles and just dropped down to the 40s today. So we're like, this is really cold for us. You know, we've been do- dealing with 100, 111 degree heat. But do you work oh. in DC ever? Or are you always working remotely? Uh, well, so it's an interesting story, actually, about how I got my job in Art and Embassies. Um <laughs> Yeah, first of all, we should probably back up and say we're with Morgan Fox. She's a curatorial assistant with Art and Embassies, which is an office of the U.S. Department of State, correct? That is correct. Yes, it's a visual arts office within the U.S. Department of State. It's We've been around since 1963. And um, do you want me to tell you about how we came about? As Yeah, I was going to test your knowledge. <laughs> I've, been, I've been combing the site, but we can get into that. What I kind of wanted to do mm-hmm. was first start with your origin story, how you got interested in art. Uh, you can talk about your education. And you studied with like Sotheby's Institute in London. You can tell us as much or as little as you want. It can start as early as you want. Just how you got into art, how you got interested in art. And then we can maybe do a little bit of a, an origin story with the actual art and embassies itself. That sounds great. Yeah, okay, I'll cool. go ahead and start with my origin story. It's it's Perfect. a very long one, so get ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll get my beverage. 
Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, it all started around the year 2000. I was about four or five years old. Um, my family took me and my sister, Elizabeth. Um, my, it's my identical twin sister. We're both twins. Um, uh, I was wondering. Okay. Yes. So we, we took a trip to the High Museum in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was one of our first trips to a museum ever. And during that time, they had a, tra- a traveling exhibition on American and French Impressionism. So mm-hmm. my sister and I were listening to the audio guy through our headphones, and we just could not stop looking at the paintings shown there. Even after my parents even said multiple times, kids, it's time to go. We got to beat Atlanta traffic. So <laughs> we ended up leaving shortly before the museum closed, thankfully. But to this day, it's really made a deep impact on me. And one of my favorite works from that exhibition was Mary Cassatt's The Two Sisters, which is just as it sounds. It's two sisters that are set against a green background, one with her arm around the other shoulder. Oh, nice. It just beautifully kind of encapsulates our relationship or my relationship with my twin sister and how close we are. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, she's a curatorial fellow at the Yale University Art Gallery. So we're both in the same art field. So she was just as nice. impacted by that exhibition as I was. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, was that I, kind I, of like your gateway drug, that piece that got you into it? Uh, I wouldn't say it's the only piece, but there have been so many during my time. I've just continued going on museum trips ever since that time. And as a kid, I've always loved drawing and painting, everything like that. So I didn't know exactly where where art would take me, but I was interested in the subject. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. So did you want to, was there a time when you thought you could be an artist yourself? Because I know you have like a certificate in decorative arts and design. Is that something you wanted to do uh, or you wanted to try your hand at, or was it always kind of like, ah, oh, I want to be on the curatorial side? I've, yeah, I think it was more of, I wanted to be in the, the, the running the, or helping run a museum really. When I yeah. was in high school, actually, my mom, she got a job working as a director of operations at this local art museum in Georgia called the Marietta Cod Museum of Art. And occasionally I help volunteer when I'm, whenever I'm in town visiting family uh, and it could, my tasks could range from installing artworks, sitting at the front desk or checking people in during exhibition openings or receptions. Mm -hmm. And the museum recently had this interesting, fantastic chalk art festival in October. It was called Chalktoberfest. Oh yeah. I saw that on the Instagram page. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it occurs annually around the second weekend of October and over 86, uh, I believe, chalk artists participated and they created these really amazing two-dimensional and three-dimensional chalk pictures around the Marietta Square. So Mm -hmm. I flew down to help for that and it was very successful. It brought in over, uh, I guess, 100,000 visitors and still recovering from the (laughs) three-day sure. But yeah, originally, going back to your uh, question, uh, growing up, I was really interested in history, and I actually considered working in that field first, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do quite yet. So I thought about working in art historical societies, history museums, and archives, and briefly interned at all three places during my um, time at Fermi University, Mm -hmm. where I received my Bachelor of Arts degree for the four years I was there. Uh, I, I, I was a research intern at the Cobb Landmarks Historical Society, just conducting research on businesses in the Marietta Square during World War I and World War II. 
um, presented wow. my research findings to their board of trustees, and I interned at a research library and an archives at the History Museum in Cartersville, Georgia, called the Bartow Street Museum. I really enjoyed both times there, so much so that my focus at the time shifted towards archives. So mm -hmm. I then enrolled as a processing intern at the National Archives in DC. It really was a fascinating time and I learned so much, but I quickly realized that I did not envision myself sitting alone in this cold storage room that's full of these boxes of archival materials and letters. Right. Uh, it's not- Yeah, it's not what most people picture when they picture it, you know, like, oh, you're going to be alone in this dark room. <laughs> yep, no, it's exactly, but I should put that in the job description, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Do you like but caves? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, yeah. great. Um, no, it definitely was not what I wanted to do. I, I'm more of a people person, so I wanted to be around uh, my colleagues and, uh, I guess, people in general and handle objects. Yeah. Um, but it was it was actually a really formative uh, internship for me because it was in D.C. and it really helped me learn what it was or it first exposed me to what it was like being in the city. And I absolutely loved it, just wandering around the National Gallery of Art that was right next door um, after my day as an intern, which yeah. was where I knew. For, and so I knew for sure I definitely wanted to live there. Um, yeah, D.C. is great. I haven't actually been back since um, I went for Obama's inauguration in 2009. I don't know if you know this, but I should tell you this. I think you might get a kick out of it. I did um, I did 12 paintings of the president at the time for inaugural purple ball. And I had to paint them in like three weeks and they had to be almost identical pieces of him. And then wow. we shipped them out and they were like distributed to celebrities attending the event, like Ed Harris and Ashley Judd and people like that. So we got to go attend the event and see DC. It was the first time I'd ever been to DC and, I definitely love the town, had a really good energy, at least at the time. Is wow. it still that way? Yeah, that's that's amazing. I wouldn't say I'd be able to meet, I've ever met celebrities like Ed Harris or actually, <laughs> but gosh, what an honor it must have been for you. It was fun. Yeah, it was great. DC is wonderful. It really is. Uh, it, it captures, it has the sort of energy that doesn't just stem from the politics that are involved in there, but it is basically the museum capital of America. It's really yeah an amazing place to kind of view exhibitions and uh, feel as cultured as you can. It's a, it's a wonderful city. I love it. I would love to go back there. I only get to be there for about three days. So I'd love to go back there and just go for like an art tour because I know there's a lot of amazing art there. Um, well, we can shift a little bit to the art and embassies. Uh, I know it started, it's kind of had its like 50 year anniversary recently, hasn't it? Yeah, it's it's actually about to have their our 60th anniversary is about to start next year. Um, yeah. So it, we'll, it, we'll have a lot of events and initiatives kind of surrounding that. Because um, there's kind of like two starting points, right? There's like when the, the MoMA first envisioned this and then I'll let you tell it, but I'm just going to act like I know what I'm talking about. And then in yeah. 1963, I believe it was JFK uh, helped formalize it. Is that, am I way off base here or? Yeah. Um, so how it got started, as I mentioned earlier, it's the visual arts office within the Department of State that's been around yeah. since 1963. And um, the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, 
They first formed uh, it as a visual, this global visual arts program in 1953, initiating exhibitions of contemporary art in ambassadors' mm-hmm. residences. This happened only some years after World War II. It was not that long time, not a long time ago when the mo- modern art movement moved from Paris to New York City. So in a sense, you have this burgeoning rise of abstract expressionism that proved in a way yeah. to be the genesis of art and embassies. It was a huge boom and that was uh, established by FDR, correct? Uh, that is correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, that was, I know that's when all of the people like Pollock and those guys had their start and I'm the women too, the women's movement as well. That's when there was this huge boom in the United States and in New York. A lot of people were first learning how to actually make money and get some exposure <laughs> as an artist, which was great. And I'll let you continue. Sorry. Good. Of course. Uh, so the program was later formalized, as you probably mentioned earlier. It was under John F. Kennedy's presidency as an office within the Department of State, and it was later called Art and Embassies. Yeah. So we have professional curators and registrars that curate and ship about 60 exhibitions per year. For oh, wow. Yeah, we do it for chief of mission residences, which are basically residences where the ambassadors will stay. And we also do it for consulates, chanceries, annexes. We have about seven curators on our staff and two curatorial assistants, one of which includes me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each curator is assigned to um, a post, but we usually work on more than one post. We work on several (laughs) out of the 200 or so U.S. embassy venues that are in 189 countries. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're going to get to all of them pretty soon here. Yes, exactly. Well, I'll try not to list all of them, but there are quite a lot of projects that we work on. And the chief of mission residence um, exhibitions are what I mostly work with. And And the ones of which that you happen to be um, in for the exhibition in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Yeah, (laughs) I was kind of interested. So how did you find me? Uh, How did I find you? Gosh, (laughs) Uh, that is a very good question, honestly. Typically, how we choose artists is kind of twofold. We have a registry where artists from any part of the world can submit their artwork for consideration. Mm -hmm. And the artists who first sign up to be included in the registry are not yet participating Art and Embassies Artists in Exhibition, but their work is out there for consideration. And the curators and I look through and narrow down our search based on mediums, genre, and artist location. And that's usually based on the ambassador's input. It could be, for example, if they if the ambassador is from Michigan originally and they want to have traditional landscapes in the residence, then we can try and find uh, Michigan artists or Michigan landscapes that mm-hmm. are traditional in style um, through the registry. And people who submit their artwork through there, they would be contacted directly for a possible inclusion into the show. Should there be any interest, like I mentioned, yeah, we'll contact them directly and see if they'd like to participate. Um, yeah. But a lot of the times, the, the second way I find artists like yourself uh, Google, is through Google. It's oh, sort nice. of my best friend. <laughs> that's, that's where I like my, where my research skills like to come in handy. The trick yes. is mostly in the keywords and the meticulous searches through databases like Artsy and Sachi. I would also read through news articles and find artists' names, then look and see if they're active or if they have their own website or if they're represented in a gallery. 
And like I like how I mentioned how I found your art is exactly how I found you for the exhibition in Yaoundé for, and I'll get to that for sure, for his chief of mission resonance, Ambassador Lamora, he wanted vibrant, colorful artworks that are inspired by the styles of this American artist, Keith Haring, and mm-hmm. the Dutch painter by Piet Mondrian. So yeah. sometimes I'd look through, I'd look through Sachi for some ideas. And when I typed in literally the keyword Piet Mondrian, I narrowed it down to American artists and your name came up in the search. And I was just, oh, wow. I was instantly attracted to your work. Um, oh, I then looked you up. I found you on our website, shared it with the ambassador and he really liked it and contacted you from there. That's amazing. I, I had no idea all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes, but I'm definitely a big Mondrian fan. So that's really cool. I was actually just in the MoMA. My wife and I went to New York and and I got to go to the MoMA for a bit and saw some Mondrian in in, uh, in person, Picasso's, you know, everybody that I wanted to see, de Kooning's. It was just amazing. So it's that's really cool to be connected that way. This art and embassy uh, carries a lot of clout. You've worked with some amazing artists and I'm personally honored to be a part of it. And it was just kind of funny because like when you reached out, I was like, is this for real? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Because is this t- spam email? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this spam? But once <laughs> I, my wife and I kind of Googled it, we're like, oh, wow, this is legit. And then I realized I'd done an interview with Man One. I don't know if you are familiar with that name, but he he's a kind of a graffiti artist in LA, pretty well known. And he does a lot of work. He's owned his own gallery. He's been doing a lot of solo shows. He has a long history, but he was telling me how he did. I think he was in Puerto Rico, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, but he okay. went down there. I think he did one of those actual, maybe you could tell us about that. It's an exchange or something. Oh uh, yes, that's right. So it was probably like an artist exchange is what yeah. he did. Yeah. Uh, he was down there for a few days and he got to meet well, with a bunch of people and give classes with some of the kids in the, in the community. That's great. And that's exactly what we do. That's kind of basically the educational component of Art and Embassies is when we have, we host artist exchanges in the location where the artist's work was installed. And Mm -hmm. that initiative is usually driven by the embassy itself, depending on what kind of programming they want to do or if they want to do it. And so when COVID happened, the exchanges have been virtual, but now that travel is opening up, they're becoming more in-person depending on the posts. And it, like, it, it is really this wonderful, enriching opportunity for artists to collaborate with local artists uh, and participate directly with the embassy. And this variety of program, public programming could include, like you mentioned, workshops or master classes with mm-hmm. student artists, studio visits, lectures, an opening reception at the embassy with the ambassador and their guests. Or, yeah, like cool. I mentioned, they collab with local artists who produce works for permanent collections in new embassies or consulates. And since the exchanges started in 2002, there have been over 200 exchanges to date. Oh, wow. So, like, I pretty much fall under the temporary collection category. The permanent collections, are those also in just in embassies or those in other government entities or right. buildings? So as far as the permanent collections go, those are mainly in the new embassies that we help construct. We the okay. Art and Embassies is under uh, the Bureau of Overseas Building Operations. It's a part of the State Department, mm-hmm. and how we how they helps oversee the construction of embassies worldwide. And we at Art and Embassies facilitate with site specific commissions in the new buildings. 
Uh, and we have things called a new embassy compound or in a new office annex. And that's mm-hmm. where the permanent collections kind of mostly go to. Uh, most of the art in the new embassies or diplomatic properties are curated through art and embassies. And the curators in charge of those posts, they use their years of experience and cultural research to basically humanize these large scale spaces. Um, mm-hmm. We collaborate with engineers, architects, and construction teams throughout the multi-year project. And they are, like I mentioned, permit collections of the embassies are our responsibility. We do around three to five refreshes a year. So if any embassy is requesting new art, then um, we help work with that and take into account what's in the embassy. And then the curators will curate a smaller exhibition. Any kind of movement of art needs to be notified by us first. And that way we loop in the right parties and have the process run smoothly. That's very cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And then you also have, I know you do a catalog. Do you do catalogs for each embassy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. We um, after once the exhibition, like a the chief of mission ex- exhibition for residents has been finalized, I start writing the exhibition catalog. And during that process, I reach out to artists, galleries, and other lenders and ask them to send high resolution images, a bio, or an artist statement about their work that's going to be in the exhibition, mm-hmm. and as well as their social media handles. So that way we can promote them on our social media. And once I have that information, I send a draft over to our publications team and they help edit and coordinate with a printer to get these done. And they eventually mail copies to the lenders and artists once that's completed. So you'll be able, once the publication for Yaoundé is completed, we'll send you uh, in the mail a copy of the catalog. Oh, that's cool. I was, I was wondering about that. Yeah. I did see, I was coming through the site the other day. I saw my profile up there. I was wondering, do you do, I know there's bio sections and stuff. Is that kind of a work in progress? That is a work in progress. Like right now where I've completed a draft. You've got nothing else to do, right? Oh, no. That's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're so busy. (laughs) There's always something to do. That's what's wonderful about the job. But yes, right now, as of this recording, the... um, I have a draft of the catalog, but need to send it over to our publications team for their edits. Um, And something to also mention too, it's not, we don't also do print copies, but the catalog is also going to be available on our website. So Mm -hmm. if you go to our, our main homepage, there will be online versions placed in each exhibition and collection page, and it's located in the online exhibitions tab. So if you wanted to see the Yende catalog, you'd scroll down to the exhibition selections until you see the title Yaoundé 2022. And that exhibit page is basically like a portfolio that shows you the artwork and a list of artists and lenders who contributed to the exhibition. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And then you have a Medal of Arts Award, right? And I believe you, the first person to receive this was Jeff Koons. Is that correct? Yes, I believe that is the case. I haven't really looked closely into the Medal of Arts um, Mm -hmm. page, but yes, that is correct. Yeah. I just wanted to say for artists listening to this, that it's a really cool program, getting your artwork up here. You know, not only are you in the presence of some of the best artists from the United States, but you know, you're getting exposure in these embassies, you're getting exposure on the website and the catalog as well. I wanted to ask you what an artist submission looks like if anybody's interested in doing that and what they have to have prepared for when they submit their work. 
Sure. Uh, if you go onto our website, uh, down on the very bottom, there should be a, a button to press, which is um, you can click on submit artwork on the registry. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is it takes you to a page, which just has, it looks like a database of some sort, but you can um, search for items pretty easily on there. And there should mm-hmm. be a button that says create new account. You follow the prompt, which includes your name and some artwork photos that you can upload into your profile and then their email address and uh, password. So that way you can have that handy for when you log in, if you need to make updates to your profile or anything. Um, And so once you have that created, you'll be uh, registered as an artist. And that's when the curators, if they come across that artist's work for project, then we'll contact them from there. So you'll first look at this registry if you're doing a project and see if any of the artists fit the bill. Exactly. Yes. Okay. No, no matter really how an artist is found or discovered, whether or not it's through the registry or online, which is how I found you, or it's at a mm-hmm. gallery opening, like it is a really fantastic opportunity for that artist to yeah. showcase their art in such a rarefied community and represent their art in a foreign country. And we've had over 2000 artists participate every year. And we engage with, with hundreds of partners and lenders every year for the exhibition and collection. That's amazing. Do you have any personal favorite projects or favorite artists that you've either worked with or that have worked with art and embassies before you were there? Yes, absolutely. Gosh, I I honestly have so many. <laughs> I've worked with so many of, yeah. out of all the 45 plus exhibitions that I've done for art and embassies in my two and a half years so far. Besides you, of course, I of course. Can, <laughs> <you're> right, <laughs> besides you, I can highlight a few contemporary artists with some pretty unique mediums. Mm-hmm. We've had um for there's a for the Lome Togo exhibition. There's one artist named Galen Gibson Cornell. He's an American artist who travels around the world and collects advertisements, flyers, and other ephemera from international cities. He brings them back to his studio there in Philadelphia and weaves them into these layered street posters. And we also, another cool artist I want to mention is Jessica Goki. Uh, Mm -hmm. She is an artist of the Ojibwe tribe who practices the Native American art of beadwork. And her goal is to keep that tradition alive and incorporate her work with Ojibwe floral patterns. She's exhibited her work for the Vatican CMR. And that mm-hmm. it, it's her work is really cool. It's made out of these tiny Czech seed beads and brass sequins, and they're all embroidered on a black wool trade cloth. Um, oh, wow. So that was pretty, pretty unique in itself. That was probably one of the, the best works I've seen so far. But I'm getting my pen. Could, could you? Could <laughs> yeah, write all these artists down because yeah, you, yeah. I want to check them I out. Or maybe check. have one of them on the podcast. What, what was this? The female artist name? Jessica Goki. It's um, Jessica. her last name is spelled G O K E Y. E Y. She's an up and coming artist, so better watch cool. out for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds awesome. I love. I love the medium. I will check her out and and the other artists as well. But um, there's, I mean, there's so many artists to comb through in the website and find those. Yeah. I mean, you'll recognize a lot of the ones from the beginning of the program. You'll re- recognize like Jackson Pollock and Helen Frankenthaler, a bunch of people. There's just been so many artists that have worked with art and embassies, which is amazing. But I'm sure you've got some really good new talent as well, which I'm excited yes, to absolutely. check out. And there's also some really um, cool artists on there who have done art for so many years. Um, I do want to highlight yes. one more. And it's yeah, Mary, for it. Mary Sip Green. She's exhibited her work for Ottawa and for Dublin. 
um, that's coming up. Oh, I saw, yeah, I saw this. Mary, say it again. Sorry. Mary Mary Sip Green. Mary Sip Green. And I can spell her name if you want me to. Yeah, that'd be great in case any of the people listening want to look it up too. Yes. uh, Her last name is spelled S-I-P-P and it's green like the color green. (laughs) Awesome. And those are, that's together? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, it's spaced apart, so it's sip okay. and then green space. Sip and then green. Okay, I was close. I was just missing one P. Um, awesome. Cool. Well, that's cool. Thanks for sharing those. And so, what's a typical day in your work life look like? Oh man, it's uh, it's a <laughs> lot. It, 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 I work on several exhibitions at a time, but um, mm-hmm. they're all at different stages. And I can give you the the basic process for what happens when an exhibition for a CMR comes into play. Yeah. Um, so the curator and I have our first consultation or briefing with the ambassador designate, an ambassador nominee, or a newly appointed ambassador. And they are, by and large, the diplomatic representatives of the United States. They first must be nominated by the president, and then that nomination goes through the Senate floor until a confirmation has been reached. And once they're confirmed, they officially become an ambassador, and we curators get started with organizing the exhibition. During the consultation, (laughs) we try to get a sense of what kind of artwork the ambassador prefers. Um, The theme or style can be anything they want, since they'll be living with the art and the residents for around two to three years. And the two to three year timeline is how long they'll remain at post. And typically, some ambassadors would want artwork that ties directly to the country they're working in. So like I mentioned earlier, if they are from Michigan or if they're from their own, if they're from Michigan originally and they like traditional landscapes, we could look for Michigan artists that specialize in that style. They want to be reminded of home when they're away. Exactly. It's like a a sense of um, comfort and it's a way for them to help control their environment and their domesticity. But importantly, it it helps them convey themes they want to consider and what their mission is while they're here. And some actually would want artwork that ties directly to the country that they're working in. So if they're stationed in Belgrade, we could find artists local to that country as well. And that kind of convey a mission or a theme, um, like whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they may even have colleagues that have a private collection or who happen to be artists themselves. When we meet with the ambassadors, we also take the design of the residence into account and how much wall space is there. We work with the resident residential design and furnishings team at Post and kind of help analyze images of the represent representational spaces and floor plans to figure mm-hmm. out how much artwork can fit. We usually do around like eight to twelve artworks depending on their dimensions. If it's a huge residence with a good, decent sized spending cap or budget, we can accommodate more. But yeah. um, And then we get, based on the input from the ambassador's meeting, um, the curator and I later present, we research and we present our findings to the ambassador. So if they say no to most or all of the artwork options that we present, we continue digging for more. But if they say yes to many of them, we reach out to the artist or gallery who has the work. And that was the stage of the process where I first interacted with you online. Yeah. And it was cool because the ambassador actually had input. You could tell that you were working directly with the ambassador because you had picked a piece of mine uh, called City of Color. And I was ready to go with that. And then you came back and said, oh, the ambassador actually wants these two pieces, which is cool because it was like, as an artist, you're not sure if they're even looking at any of this stuff, but it just showed that they were pretty hands-on with the process as well. Right. Yeah. And the ambassador really, he really loved uh, City of Color, but definitely 
really, really loved uh, Sweet and Sour and Tokyo City Lights since they're yeah. of the same color and palette. He really kind of liked um, the idea of paired paintings by the same artist. And yeah, I like that too. Plans could have changed, but he's envisioned hanging them in the, together in the dining room. And oh, I cool. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, I he really loved both, um, and I also really loved both. The sweet and sour work really does look like hard candy when you look yes. at it from various angles. And Tokyo City Lights has me feeling like I'm in Japan. I just yeah. love the inspiration behind both works, as well as their frenetic energy and wild colors. It's really special to have both works in the exhibition. And at the time of this recording, it's. We have the shipment consolidated and the works are being created. So they'll be ready for takeoff, hopefully within this month. If oh, cool. all goes well. <laughs> I love picturing, you know, where they're going to be. Cause I'm probably not going to be able to get to Cameroon myself. Although you never okay. know, <laughs> but it's really cool to, you know, be able to envision where they might be. And yeah, for anybody listening, the process is really cool. You, you deal with somebody like Morgan, who was wonderful to deal with. And then, once it's finalized, they have a company come and just pick them up. It's like kind of like a white glove service. They pick up and they, you know, carefully handle and package your work and pick it up for you. And it's insured also, of course. Did you want to talk any more about the shipping process or is of that course. pretty much cover it? Yeah, I can continue explaining the process a little more in detail. Um, yeah. So we we have once we have all the artworks finalized, the ambassador has made his decisions and sends us the green light. We, the curator and I reach out to the artists and send out loan agreements for them to sign and return back to us. And once we've confirmed these artworks and gathered the necessary info, like the artwork medium, frame dimensions, if it's a painting or a pickup location, the curator basically sends a list to one of our three registrars on staff for a budget estimate, and they help coordinate the logistics of the exhibition. They begin scheduling pickups with a contracted shipping company, and then he or she gets back to the artist with a specified date. The contracted art handlers arrive at the pickup location, wrap and pack the artwork, and then place it in a holding facility where all the other works are consolidated, brought together, which is brought together and created, or mm -hmm. created, not created. <laughs> created and created. <laughs> yes, I'm having trouble with words today. I don't know no, why. It's, no, it's fine. I have trouble with words all the time. Yeah. And, uh, Part of the process. It really is. Um, <laughs> consolidation really takes about several weeks to complete. The works can't be sent separately or one at a time. They have to be brought together in order to help us save uh, money. I didn't um, know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And depending on the location of the country, the art is shipped either um, via truck or air, most likely air freight a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. And they're delivered at post. Do you go with a company? Like, Do you hitch a ride with a company or do you have your own air transport? Uh, we actually, we go through uh, uh, two specific companies. Um, they're, they're not exactly, I believe they're not exactly with the State Department, but um, they're called U.S. Art and Atelier 4. They've been really uh, yes. wonderful people to um, work with and nice. wonderful companies to work with for sure. That what happens after the shipment, I, I can explain this part. We have a, a general services officer or a point person at the embassy to help uh, the, we, that talks to the registrar and helps coordinate the safe shipment of the exhibition um, to post. Mm -hmm. And we ask them to have the artwork basically sit in a secure part of the embassy for 24 hours to let it acclimate before unpacking the artworks from their crates. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really important for that to for someone to supervise the art handling and 
practice safe special insulation requirements for works that are of fragile, high value, or historic importance. Yeah. Um, and once they're installed, then we they usually fill out condition reports for each work and send a copy to our registrar. Very cool. Yeah. Well, the whole process is awesome, and I'm honored to be a part of it. And it's a really cool program, so I I definitely encourage artists to check it out and at least get to the website. Which I don't think we've told the website yet. Did you want to tell the website? I have it here if you if you need me to. Oh, do you need you mean like the hyperlink to the website or yeah, for people to just check out the URL if they want to check out oh, what sure. art and embassies is and maybe submit their work? Yeah, you can find us out. Um, our website is um, www.art.state.gov. Yes. And we're, we're also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Definitely. Yeah, I just checked out the Instagram page as well. I want to move on to just a couple personal questions. I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, but I always ask a couple yeah. personal questions. And, um, if before we do though, did I leave out anything? Is there something you want to highlight or a couple things you want to highlight? Um, sure. I could tell you, I didn't get to finish exactly my origin story. Oh, <laughs> wow. Did we, did we, okay. Bad no, okay. podcast host. All right. No problem. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, I could it. do part two of this one because the last one I talked more about the, my history background, but I could talk more yes. about the art background as well. Um, so during my junior year at Furman, I decided to take a few introductory art history courses, one in Western art, which started from the ancient period to impressionism. And the other was in Renaissance art. So I immediately fell in love with the, the subject matter presented in both courses and just decided, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. Then those courses really encouraged me and changed the trajectory of my focus then from history to art. So I applied to a few grad schools and it was going to be between Pratt Institute for Art History and then Georgetown for Museum Studies, but I ended up attending Georgetown. Um, And I definitely, I want to credit my history professor, Dr. Carolyn Day, who about once a week mentored me and sat with me in her office for over three hours to research grad schools and and discuss which would be a best path for me. So major, major kudos to her. um, Having a mentor is so important, you know? Mentors really are important. Yeah, they she's really was instrumental in helping me figure out what exactly I wanted to do. So I I wouldn't know what to do without her. <laughs> very, yeah. very grateful. And I, okay, so for right around after graduation, I went to Georgetown, which was a year-long program dedicated to museology and art history. Um, and I also want to give major a major shout out to Dr. Lisa Strong, who was my program supervisor and museum studies professor. She was amazing. Um, love her so much. Uh, I studied current trends of art museums and galleries together with museum practice. And it was divided into these three different semesters. And each one required that I participate in an internship for course credit in order mm-hmm. to gain practical hands-on museum experience. I first interned as a registrar at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, kind of got to experience how an exhibition comes together through like the careful movement and packing of objects. Mm -hmm. I even got to help write condition reports on some pretty cool artworks like um, Howard Finster's glass bottles. There were paintings by Emery Blagden that I worked on and even some drawings by Bill Trailer. They were these really, really neat uh, DC, I think they're, some of them are based in DC, but not all of them, but they were active during the 20th century, which was really fascinating to work with. Um, yeah. 
So after that internship, I studied abroad in London for five months and I enrolled in their decorative arts and design program. So I took classes on European furniture, ceramics, glass and silver, and some fine art that's dated from the 17th to 20th centuries. Um, we had faculty specialists that lectured about four days a week. And sometimes we'd go into field trips to museums, art fairs, or historic homes that were in and out of London. So I was I was exposed, exposed to a number of prolific collections. I got to visit some really neat museums like the Victoria and Albert Museum. And even the British Museum was only like a five-minute walk away from us. So it was really oh, that's amazing. nice to have them on hand. Yeah. Um, Really loved it. Uh, the, and so the coursework I completed, we had sessions where we got to actually handle some objects from though this, those really old time periods. And mm-hmm. it was definitely a more hands-on approach that wasn't just all about lectures and whatnot. Was um, that nerve wracking at all, handling these objects? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it, not really in the sense because they got to educate you on exactly how to hold the object, make sure you hold it from the base or from the, the back. Um, yeah. Depending if it was a ceramic figurine or if it was a, a silver pitcher or something like that. Um, so I wasn't totally nervous <laughs> handling those objects, but I can imagine if it was something super ancient, I would be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely a lot of pressure, but it was very, it was a very interesting time for sure. And I did a briefly did a, a, a summer internship at the George Washington Museum and Textile Museum and mm-hmm. uh, did a research project on some um, North African jewelry to see if we could acquire those objects for future exhibitions or as part of the permanent collection. Um, and then I wrote a final paper about discussing the relationships between museums and universities. Mm-hmm. The, both the George Washington Museum and the Textile Museum merged in 2015. So um, we discussed how the curatorial department interacted with the general public and the academic community um, there in GW. After graduation, though, um, it, there was a period of time where I was just struggling to find jobs. And as you can imagine, the art field yep. is very competitive. And sometimes it, it does take a while to land that job that you want or on both sides of the art art world, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or even if you trying to earn that special recognition as an artist and yeah. trying to get your artwork out there, it's really tough. It is. That's part of the reason why I did this podcast is I wanted to have a little bit more of a community of artists and share tips and tricks and you know things that that we've learned along the way just to help out a bit. And uh, I wish I had that when I was coming out (laughs) because, you know, I went to school and I studied art in school, but one thing that was missing really heavily when I was in school was bridging the gap between actually studying it and doing it and then how to go out into the world and get your art seen and, you know, get into galleries and like make a living as an artist. So that was something that was missing from the curriculum. Was it, did you find, I mean, I know you studied, it seems like you studied everywhere you have like a very broad spectrum of studies. Uh, do you feel like you were lacking anything when you came out? And as a sub question, how did you find art embassies or did they kind of like pluck you out like the CIA? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times to answer your, your first question, I guess, um, it, they, they certainly, they, I think they teach you and there are a lot of great sources out there to help you get into the, the museum game, but it does, mm-hmm no matter how many resources you use or how much you engage with your professors and everything, it's, it's really hard initially to get the job that you want. So 
the yeah. best I could do <laughs> during that time when I was unemployed briefly uh, for about five or six months. I just did a bunch of cold calls and museums to art galleries just around the DC area. And I ended up meeting with an auction house in Alexandria, Virginia and called Potomac Company. And I first started out, it was it was a very good experience. And I first started out there as an auction assistant and kind of their front desk receptionist receiving calls from clients who wanted to consign their items for auction. And then about two years later, I became their decorative arts assistant uh, for the Asian, American, and European specialists um, oh, carrying amazing. the objects there. Um, and much like every local auction house, it was a very fast paced environment and deadlines were always very quick because of the constant turnover of antiques being consigned and we had auctions every month. But I, I learned a lot through even through the two and a half years I was there. It helped me learn that every detail matters, especially when it came to dealing with clients, high quality personal effects. And even though I did enjoy the experience and loved interacting with the objects, I discovered it was not for me. And I wanted to mm -hmm. venture back into museum and gallery work. So there isn't, yeah, like there isn't a right answer to your first question. Yeah. You just have to get into these experiences and try as much as you can um, to, to get into the, the fields and see if you actually want to pursue it or not. Um, and it also helps you to discover your path by trial and error as well, right? Exactly. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love to hear that you were pounding the pavement. You're getting out there because that's the stuff that people need to hear. It's not just like, oh, I went to school and then I came out and then I got plucked up. It's like, you have to do the work and you definitely did the work. <laughs> so yeah, so kudos to you as well. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And I would, I would encourage those museum or emerging art professionals out there to start early if possible. Just get... Yeah as much experience under your belt as you can. It can, and it can be literally anything from, you could volunteer at the front desk for a gallery, work as a security guard, you could be an art teacher for kids art classes, or even a tour guide for a museum. Just whatever you do, just be open to branching out and trying new things and filling your resume with all kinds of experiences. Yeah. Um, definitely That's important. Yeah, it's also important, I want to mention, to, to attend networking events and engage with like-minded individuals because you just never know where that may lead. I, For example, I joined this one group called uh, the DC Emerging Museum Professionals. Mm -hmm. It's an initiative that's part of the American Alliance Museums that's designed to facilitate social and professional opportunities and kind of help museum professionals build a strong network of colleagues and advance in their careers They've, it's a fun group. They've organized some of the best happy hours I've participated yeah. in. <laughs> nice. Super great. <laughs> Definitely That's appreciate great. that. And they host these really interesting events that range from collections management and to how to write a proper uh, curriculum vitae. Um, so I'd encourage That's people amazing. to be parts of groups like that. And it's a great way to foster connections and even grow in your field. Yeah. And also just to feel like you're not alone and you're a part of something, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I love that. And then the second part of the question was, how did you get plucked up by art and embassies or did you find it? Yep. So this is actually a, a pretty crazy, but fun story. And it, and it has a wonderful ending. Okay. <laughs> so, good. Happy uh, ending, so, everybody. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, what happened was I created a Google email alert that focused on curatorial job openings around the East Coast. So there was one alert that popped up on my emails that all Native group, uh, Ho Chuck Inc. and 
was hiring a curatorial assistant for our embassies. So I applied online. And to put it simply, I want to mention that I work as a federal government contractor. All Native mm-hmm. Group is a government contract company with a network of small businesses that help support basically the critical missions of U.S. government customers in various sectors. Like it could be IT, telecommunications, health, Mm -hmm. and in this instance, even artwork or art. Um, The recruiter from the company called me around mid to late December of 2019 and asked me a few questions for my resume. And then about a month later, January 2020, I met with the curatorial director, who's Imtiaz Hafiz. He was the curator, actually, for the show in Yaoundé. Oh, Um, nice. And I also met with the chief curator and the operations manager for an interview. I thought it went went pretty well. And then about a few weeks later, I got the job, but needed to wait for my security clearance to kind of go through for acceptance. Um, And then during that time, as I was waiting to start, mandatory quarantine order went into effect in dc oh no yep and that was in march 2020 (laughs) (laughs) so it was crazy and i was holed up in my dc apartment just kind of anxiously waiting for the results or just not knowing what to do at that moment except stay stay at home and not go out fortunately though all native group was able to fast track some things during the lockdown and once I signed a few more contracts uh, or papers, I started my first day virtually on April 17, 2020. Nice. <laughs> so that was, uh, that's basically it. It was definitely. Congratulations. A, thank you. It was definitely a transition from just working constantly in the office for right around auction time to sitting in front of my computer 24 seven during COVID. But yes. just like every, at like every curveball that you go through in life, you eventually get used to the new routine and you could still continue to grow in your position. Um, So I wouldn't trade that my past experiences or even that time of how I got into art embassies, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've really enjoyed working for them. That's amazing. And I'm sure it was not easy, probably very difficult to get in. All of the work that you did, all the studies probably went into it. And the security clearance thing, that's got to be a whole other animal, right? It usually is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, With, it's good to be patient and um, yeah. accept the process. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I'm sorry. I, I don't, I, I thought we, we wrapped up. I guess I probably sidetracked you. I apologize for cutting you off on oh, origin story. Okay. That's the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> so no, that's okay. It's a really long remi- one. <laughs> no, thank you for reminding me because that's all extremely important. I love to hear the origin story and how, you know, all the dots are connected and I'm sure everybody else also will. So if you're okay, can we transition to a couple of personal questions or do you want to add anything else with art and embassies or any advice? Um, yeah, I could provide one other key advice uh, if you have some time. Hit it. Uh, so as I mentioned before, it is very difficult usually to get into the art field that you want to get into. It's never easy uh, and it's very competitive, but timing is everything. Just be patient with the process. It may take a while to find that perfect job and it could be a few weeks, a few months, or even just a few years. But whatever position you get, just be content and open your mind to learning from that role. 
everyone has to pay their dues at some point in their lives, even if they just don't love the job or feel, or feel that they're in. But it's so important to do it with a with full enthusiasm, with a, a full heart and a huge smile, because you just might make a positive impact in your workplace, and it might help you push through you through to that next chapter or step. Um, so yeah. don't give up. Work hard in your field and persevere through whatever challenges you have because it will lead you to the next best thing. I agree. And as an artist, I know a lot of times it's hard to actually get a consistent income. For me, it was one of those things where I worked day jobs and or night jobs, whatever, however you want to call it. And <laughs> having that positive attitude does matter because I met so many people through even waiting tables. Um, I went from college and I went straight to waiting tables and I was like, I'm going to keep doing this until I'm making a living as an artist. But meeting people through the restaurant even and having a good attitude, you make connections through that as well. And I had a lot of collectors who I met through that. So I think that's great advice uh, for whatever side of the art world or really any career path you choose. So thank you for sharing that. I know you're a Wes Anderson fan. I know that's a random. (laughs) We talked about that. No, I'm just a big movie guy. I'm always referencing movies on the podcast. So uh, really quickly, do you have a favorite Wes Anderson movie? I do. Uh, I actually have two. (laughs) Oh, okay, good. And then I'll tell you mine. Oh, great. Okay. Um, So I really love my my first favorite movie would be Moonrise Kingdom because of a personal connection to it. I my family has a a lake house in New Hampshire that we venture to every summer. Um, And it's a really great place to just kind of unwind after the the really hectic work months that you face. And and it's a great way to to, um, reunite with the the one side of my dad's family. Yeah. had that cabin probably since the 1960 around early 1960s is when they started um, purchasing the property and building it. And since then, it's been a great place to go to every year around June or July or August. Yeah, um, that's amazing. So Moonrise Kingdom has so many facets of that New England living, which I love so much. And mm-hmm. it's just it's purely whimsical. And it's it's a beautiful story about you where you have two uh, younger kids, they fall in love and <laughs> want to just be together. So yeah. I, that one's my favorite and I appreciated the scenery and everything else around that. Yes. Um, my second favorite one would be, um, oh goodness, I had it <laughs> earlier, but, um, French dispatch, uh, Darjeeling was that Oh, you mentioned that you haven't seen French Dispatch yet. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was actually going to watch it last night in preparation for this, but I'm like, hang on, we're not talking about movies during the podcast, so it's fine. But I am going to see that. But there's a lot of art in French Dispatch, isn't there? Oh, there's art everywhere in in Wes Anderson films, honestly. The way that... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say, but there's there's an actual character who's an artist in French Dispatch, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. So... What basically the summary of this movie is that it's divided into three stories. And one of the the three stories happens to be about this artist who he's sentenced into prison for something. I can't exactly quite remember because I've only seen it one time in theaters, but it's, it's a beautiful uh, movie. I would, I would recommend it highly. (laughs) Okay, good. And that's, did you remember your second favorite? Yes, uh, I do. Because <laughs> I have so many favorites, it's really hard to narrow yeah, it down. But I, I will, I will mention my second one. It's uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh that yeah, great one. Mostly That's a great because, one. <laughs> mostly because I love 
that the set the historical setting and the, mm-hmm. the history buff in me really appreciates the artistry from the the, the hotels and the, the scenery that's involved from the 1930s I believe is when it was set yeah um, so that one would have to be my my one of my favorites as well oh that's awesome I also love I'm a big Bill Murray fan and I love that he, Bill Murray's in a lot of his movies but um Fantastic Mr. Fox is great I I don't know why Darjeeling the Darjeeling Limited, like that one speaks to me so much. There's maybe there's something about the brothers and the spiritual journey of that. But I also think it's just hilarious. I've always been attached to his kind of surrealist, um, existentialist humor, you know. But anyway, that's great. I'm just happy you love movies. Uh, anytime I get a chance to sneak in a little movie conversation, I'm happy. So we're going to move on. I mm-hmm. always ask people what their superpower is. Uh, typically with artists, I'm like, you know, what is it that gets you creating when you're not feeling like creating, but also on your side, everybody has bad days or everybody gets blocked or everybody not all the time wants to work. So what's something that you, it's a go-to for you. Like, do you, I know you run, but do you meditate? What gets you going? (laughs) Well, one of my favorite activities would be to go uh, trail running just around the area as well. But yeah, um, I, as far as your question about your superpower <laughs> or your favorite superpower, it would be actually be to step inside paintings or artworks, kind of delve into the art field again. Um, like Harry, like I love the Harry Potter movies as yeah. well. And I've always found the moving portraits to be just fascinating and wanting to know what it was, what it would really be like to be inside one of those paintings and interacting with the Hogwarts students. So yes. that would be your powers to go into, oh gosh, like a Dutch Baroque painting or a painting by Jan van Eyck. <laughs> yeah. That would be incredible just to kind of really get a glimpse into how that painting was made. So you kind of immerse yourself in the art to find inspiration. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. That's a great one. I've never had that answer before. That's uh, that's great. So I know you are a very busy person, but I'm just going to ask you a couple more and then we can wrap up. This is an important one. People are always reluctant to answer it, but um, any failures, something that you were striving to achieve and you didn't, and what did you learn from it? Because I know it always typically sets us on the path that we're on uh, right now. Sure. Uh, I can definitely answer that question. I, I wouldn't say that I've had some failures in the past, um, but I've had setbacks that I've I've worked to overcome. Um, during the early part of my schooling, I've had some auditory processing issues and I just in general just wasn't the best test taker. Uh, my SAT and ACT scores were not terrible, but they just weren't good enough to get into schools like Georgetown or Fermi University. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite those setbacks, I, I worked really hard in all of my classes to, to make sure that I at least got A's or B's. Um, and I also tried to manage, uh, or do extracurricular activities like cross country and, and track. And as well as I performed a concert band as well, just oh, to nice. kind of keep me well-rounded and, and at least what, what did you do in band? Sorry. I played the flute. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I was a trumpet would... player. Yeah. Oh, were you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always love the musical connection too, but go ahead. I always felt bad actually for the clarinet players because they've had to sit right in front of the trombone or trumpet section. Oh <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, ah, <laughs> and also with the trombone, with the slide, you know, going over your head. Exactly. Gosh. Yeah. 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 So we, the flute section was at the very front. So we were thankful for that. Definitely. Um, yes. Yeah, so I did concert band. I did cross country swimming and track. So that really, it kept me well-rounded and at least, 
<laughs> somewhat culture during my um, school experience. And during high school, as I was about to apply to Furman, the new president at the time stated that the test scores are no longer required as they're not indicative of how a student will perform. And so definitely the same exact thing happened for the grad schools that I applied for as well. Uh, it's so it's been amazing. And a lot of mountains were moved during that period of time. And it's just a miracle that those events happened so that I could move forward in my career. And the big takeaway from all this is to never assume that you're not good enough. Just keep the bar high, shoot for the moon and work hard and persevere through your challenges. If you don't at least try, you'll never know what might've been. That's great. Yeah. I love that. And I completely agree with you. So many of us learn differently. Some of us are auditory learners. Some of us are visual learners. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, finding out how you learn best is kind of a superpower as well. And being able to articulate that to your teachers or to whoever you're trying to learn from. Thank you for sharing that. And the last one I'm going to ask you is any advice to young Morgan? This can be at any age. You can be talking to your 20-year-old self, your 14-year-old self, your six-year-old self, what would you impart upon your younger self? Yeah, another wonderful question. (laughs) Um, As I've really delved into my origin story, I would say, in summary, my career path was very unconventional. It was full of a bunch of winding roads, unknown turns, and I definitely did not follow the traditional art history academic route. So if I could go back and meet with my old self, whether it be during any part of my story, like in high school, middle school, or college, I would just tell her it's going to be okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're really going to pursue some great things someday. So don't put too much pressure on yourself. So if my future self told me this, that advice would have saved me from so many years of stress and worry. (laughs) And despite my unconventional career path, my past experiences really have given me an eye for color and style that's present in contemporary fine art, as well as just an ability to understand and appreciate handicraft and other forms of art that are purely decorative, like fiber art, textiles, beadwork, mixed media, just anything outside of the the painting realm. And thanks to that, to those previous internships and jobs, I've expanded my research into personal problem-solving skills, all of which are transferable and have helped me in my role in art and embassies. So as I, that's exactly what I'd tell my uh, personal self, that you're going to do great things. This is what's going to happen. You're going to gain so many skill sets. Um, just keep the faith. Hang in there. Keep at it. Keep the nose of the grindstone. Yeah. And um, fear is such a killer. It's so debilitating. Fear, that's something that I would tell myself as well, because I spent so much time sidetracking myself with fear or anxiety, stress, whatever pressure that you're putting on yourself. It's just good to know that we'll all be okay. Take a yeah. deep breath, you know, keep doing what you're doing. It will lead to something. As long as you're putting in the effort, you'll you'll be okay. Well, that's yeah. awesome. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I also appreciate you finding me and, and my art and, you know, connecting me with art and embassies. It's wonderful to be working with you. I'm honored to be a part of it. And I encourage everybody to check out Art and Embassies and Morgan Fox. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I know your social media. You don't want to get bombarded with a bunch of people. But if you want to give that information, people can check you out on LinkedIn or something. Otherwise, you can check out art.state.gov for yeah. Art and Embassies. Mm-hmm. Check that out. And I think you will be glad that you did. <laughs> did you have anything else you wanted to leave us with or plug before we say goodbye? Sure. 
Um, I, for the, we're just, and one thing is that we're, I'm really excited that your work is going to be in Yaoundé, Cameroon really soon. Uh, yes. it's just such a unique way of painting, um, in general. I just love the frenetic energy and passion that you put into each canvas. And I know that it's Thank something you. that a lot of visitors will take away, um, when they visit the residence, uh, whether it be diplomats or otherwise, any like guests or visitors. And I want to send a special shout out to Imtiaz Hafiz, uh, the curator of the show, as well as our registrar, Jamie Arbolino. They've really been just instrumental in putting this exhibition together. And I've been, I'm so happy and thankful to have even worked with them on the show uh, in general. Uh, as yeah. far as social media plex, people can still find me on social media. I'm, I'm around. I'm yeah. on Facebook and my Instagram handle is Morgan Lee Fox. And that my middle name is spelled L-E-I-G-H. And mm-hmm. my last name is just as how it's spelled F-O-X. F-O-X. <laughs> like fantastic Mr. Fox. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> See, bringing it all together. Well, thank you, Morgan. And I'd like to echo that shout out to all those people. Keep doing the amazing work that you're doing and stick around for a minute. I'm going to ask you something off mic, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Sounds great. Thank you, Preston. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been the Living Artist Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I just want you to know that I appreciate you being here and I'm grateful to be in your ears. Your art and creative life on this planet is meaningful. So thank you for sharing it with me. If you like this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe and share it with your friends. You can also leave me a positive review to show your support. This helps me to reach more people with the algorithmic magic and keep the show going strong. If you want to see more of what I do and check out the art that I create, you can visit my website at www.pmsartwork.com or follow me on social media everywhere at PMS Artwork. That's it for now. See you back here next time.